And if you love him, you just can't help but love to give him praise and sing his name. Is that right? Come on. Give your neighbor a, a hearty high five, a Christmas appropriate high five. It's got to be filled with extra joy and extra love. And take your seats, please. Please find a seat. Thank you. I uh, am excited this morning to share with you from the word of the Lord. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And we are going to pick up with the disciples, Peter and John. It says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name, I want you to notice that word all morning, name. By what name did you do this? Then Peter, look at this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, exclamation point. I want you to notice that exclamation point. Because every Christian, when you believe in Jesus, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's in you. His presence is with you. But Peter right here, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, the periods of your life turn into exclamation points. And you see Peter, who was denying Jesus a few minutes ago, now boldly proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Watch what happens with him. You can do the same thing. You don't want to be a bored Christian, right? I want you to be a bold Christian. You don't want bored pastors preaching to you. You want bold pastors preaching to you. You can do that. You can experience that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, Ruler, rulers and elders of the people, exclamation point, listen up. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And look what this, this declaration says in verse 12 here. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Isn't that the truth? Let's pray. Lord, we love your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through scripture, God. And I pray that our hearts will be open soil this morning to receive the truth that you want to plant inside of us. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done here and what you will do through the rest of the day and through the people in this room. God, we give you all the praise. We lift up your name, the name above every name. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. I want to talk to you about the name of Jesus this morning. So the title of this message is No Other Name. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. And names are important, right? When you um, are going to have a child, you start talking about baby names. And there's a lot of interesting baby names out there today. I don't know if you've heard some of the, the really interesting celebrity baby names have you? Um, like Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress, and her husband, Chris Martin from Coldplay, they named their baby Apple. I love apples. I think it's a great name. I don't know. Um, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian, they named their daughter North, as in Northwest. Love it. I love it. Uh, we got our boy Nicolas Cage, 
who named his son Kal-El for all the Superman fans. It's cool. I mean, it's a strong name, literally, right? It's Superman. And then my favorite goes to the Prince of Pop, Michael Jackson, who named his second son uh, Prince Michael II, also known as Blanket. Great name, right? Um, surprise, Blanket grew up to not like his name anymore. He doesn't want to be called that. Uh, have you ever had a conversation like this? One time, I remember I started talking to my mom, and she told me the other names that she had been considering for me. And that's a weird conversation to have. You know, you talk, and she said, yeah, I was, I was thinking about naming you at first. I was going to name you Jesse, and I like, I like that name. I think it's a cool name, Jesse Visconti. It has, like, a nice ring to it, um, but that's not my name. And she said, if you had been a girl, which is just a weird phrase to hear <laughs> coming from your mom. Like, if I had been a girl, wait, was that ever in question? Like, God, he foreknew me in advance that I would be a man, right? I, it was never even a, she said your name would have been Rachel. And I think that's a, a nice name too. But my name is not either. The, my name is Ryan. That's how I know myself. Your name is how you know you. It's weird to think about having another name, even though every little kid has said, I don't like my name. I wish my name was something else. But reality is, you know, your name is who you are. Your name defines you in a sense. The New York Times recently released an article that said that naming a child is like developing a brand for that child. It largely will determine how that child is perceived, who he will or she will become. Now, that's actually a pretty biblical idea. Did you know that? For the Jewish people, a name was so important. It was entirely more important than we view it today. We tend to think of names as like cool, they're important, but they're not as important as they were to the Jewish people. The Hebrew word for name is the word shame. It's pronounced shame, S-H-E-M. Noah's son, who we call Shem, his name was pronounced shame. That's how they pronounce it, but it means the opposite of our word shame. The word shame in Hebrew means name. It means fame, and it describes the essence of a person's soul. So it says uh, who a person is to a certain extent. A name unlocks a person's soul, describes who they are at their very essence. We see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The word neshema, which was the word for the, the essence of your soul. It says that God breathed the neshema into man and he became a living soul. That word neshema contains the word shame, which is what we think of as a name, a name. It's really important. I want you to see this. In, in scripture, the name is, an, it's of who you are. It's a description of who you are. It says in 1 Samuel 25, 25, as his name, so is he. So it wasn't just a title. It's who you are. That's why God was always changing people's names in the Bible. Changed Abraham's name from Abram once he discovered the one true God. He just changed Jacob's name to Israel. If you hung out with Jesus, he might have changed your name. He changed Simon's name to Peter. Because once these people encountered God, who they were at their core changed and they needed a new name. The new and improved model. Now, the name of Jesus 
You hear this name going around a lot today. It's the one time of the year that you hear his name everywhere, not just as a curse word on the job site, but everywhere you go. In the malls, they're singing about his name. And for a lot of people, the name of Jesus doesn't mean a lot to them. Maybe it's just like a little baby at Christmas time. Maybe for them, it is just something you say when you're mad. But the name of Jesus is more powerful and wonderful and incredible than maybe you maybe you ever realize. I want to talk to you about his name so you can understand the, the linguistic history of it and you'll appreciate it more, I hope. The name Jesus is an English translation of the Greek name Jesus. Jesus is Jesus in Greek, and it's a translation from the Hebrew version of that, which is Yeshua. Yeshua was the name of Jesus. Yeshua is the shortened version of Yehoshua. Yehoshua in Hebrew is Joshua. That's how we translate it. So Jesus' name was like Josh, kind of. So it's Yeshua, the shortened version of Yehoshua. Yehoshua is made up of two subwords, subwords here, Yeho and Yasha. Yeho is an abbreviation of the four-letter name of God, Y-H-V-H. We don't know exactly how it's pronounced because the Hebrew language does not have written vowels. But when Moses asked God, who is it that I should say sent me? God said, Y-H-V-H. That's his name. The tetragrammaton. It's called the four-letter description of God. For the Hebrew people, that was his personal, most intimate name. That was the first time anyone had heard that name uh, for God. Before that, they called him Adonai, which is Lord. They called him Elohim, which is the most high God who created the universe. But God said, this is my my personal name, Y-H-V-H. And that's where we get the name Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God. It's his most personal and intimate name. So Yeho is Yahweh, and Yasha literally means God. It means saves. Yasha means saves. So you take that, you put those two words together. Obviously, you see that Yehoshua or Yeshua or Jesus or uh, Jesus, if you're Spanish, you know, like speaking like Espanol, um, they all mean... Jesus equals God saves. That's what his name means. It's not just who he's called. It tells you who he is, and it tells you why he came. God saves is his name. And that's what's so interesting about Matthew 121. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Jesus, or Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel said to Joseph. Here's what he would have heard in Hebrew. You will call his name God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Isn't that amazing? And you maybe have heard people, atheists or skeptics, say that, well, God, you know, it never says in the Bible that Jesus is God. That's just something that Christians kind of claimed later. Jesus never... You never claim to be God. Jesus' name tells you he is God. It tells you very clearly. It says, look at this passage. You will call his name God saves, for he, God, will save his people, God, from their sins. He is God. And he came to this earth to save 
his people. He wasn't just sweet little five-pound, four-ounce baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths in the manger. He was God. And this was a fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that describes our God. It says that you'll have a son and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I wish I had some organ behind me right now because that is amazing. That's his titles. That's who he is. Now, my prayer this morning is that you'll come to appreciate the name of Jesus and that his very name, you won't any longer just think of it as a, a regular name, but that it, it will be a, a powerful thing for you, that it will invoke a strong reaction in you. And when you hear his name, it's just going to swell up inside you. You're going to have to stop and give God a praise break wherever you are, you know, just, just sing his praise. What a wonderful name it is. Wherever you are, in the middle of the mall while you're shopping here this week, just whatever it is, the name of Jesus. Just sing it to people. They'll be like, yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. And you'll be like, he he has no rival. You know, you just go for it. Here's what I want you to know about the name of Jesus. Authority is in his name. Every kid who's ever played cops and robbers, they've said the same phrase, stop in the name of the law, right? Or maybe um, when you were a kid playing with your siblings, you came downstairs and you said, you have to go clean your room. And your, your sibling said, no, I don't. And then you said, well, mom says you have to clean your room. And mom was the boss of room cleaning. So it meant you had to clean your room. Or anytime a president issues an executive order, at the end of the executive order, he signs his name because his name is the seal of authority. There is authority in the name of Jesus. When Peter and John got before, uh, brought before the religious leaders here, they were asked a question. They were in trouble. And I'll talk about why in a second. But they were asked a question. By what power or whose name are you doing these things? In the message translation, it says, who put you in charge here? That's what, that's what they're asked. And you have to kind of understand the Jewish culture to fully understand what's going on here. In this culture, as a, a teacher of the scriptures, which was the ultimate authority, you had, you had a sense of authority based on following a rabbi and learning from another rabbi who was a, a authority in scripture. And the rabbi that you learned from, that was your school of education. He was um, your leader. And rabbi literally means master or teacher. And he would teach you how to apply the word of God to your life. Your rabbi was kind of like your uh, college diploma. It was your pedigree. And you would walk and have a debate with your you know, friends and talk about scripture. And you would say, I think this means this. I think this means this. And be like, well, why do you think that? Because my rabbi, Rabbi Moses, Rabbi Yoshi... Whatever his name was, he taught me that, and he is the ultimate authority. That was where you gained your sense of authority when it came to understanding Scripture and applying it to your life. Now, Peter and John, they had been going around and preaching this gospel, which was different than the conventional Jewish understanding of relationship with God. They were preaching a new message, which happens to be the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why they're asked by these religious rulers, in whose name? by what authority who put you in charge to go around teaching these crazy things and doing crazy miracles? Like, who's your rabbi, right? Who said you could say these things? These guys have been followers 
of Jesus Christ, the ultimate authority on the word of God, right? Because he wrote it, <laughs> right? That's kind of funny. He wrote it, so he knew it. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus had all authority and he gave his disciples authority to go and make disciples. And the Jewish understanding of that phrase would be like, you're all gonna be like little rabbis who go out and you, you take disciples under your wing and you teach them about the Lord. And you have the authority to do this because I, the one who has all authority, has invested my authority into you. As a Christian, you need to know that you have authority when you believe in Jesus. You need to understand, though, what, what we tend to think of when we, when we hear the word believe in Jesus is not what these Jews would have taken it to mean. We think of belief as an intellectual acceptance of an idea, like, okay, I'll believe in Jesus. What the Jews understood this to mean, that belief was, it was submitting yourself willfully to the total authority of your master. It was a verb which says, I will follow you. So you can believe in the Easter bunny or Santa Claus, but I hope that you believe Jesus, that you will submit your life to him and follow him and make him your teacher and master who will guide you into truth and the Lord's plan for your life. And it means submitting your will to him, not my will, your will be done. It's why Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Because in this culture, if someone was your rabbi, you wanted to emulate every single thing he did. You wanted to eat the way he ate. You wanted to love your wife the way he loved his wife. You'd follow him to the bathroom so you could go to the bathroom the way that he went to the bathroom. You wanted to be like him. It was fanatical, but in the same way, we should have a fanaticism to want to be like Jesus, to want to do the things he did and say the things he said. We want to be like him because he's our master and he's our teacher. His authority is literally in his name, God. God saves. He affirms it, that God has given him authority in his word, Philippians 2, 9. Verse 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. You realize that every single person and spirit in the universe will bow their knee to Jesus. You will either bow your knee to him in submission as one of his people, or you will bow your knee to him in defeat as one of his enemies. But every knee will bow and acknowledge him as Lord. He has authority. His authority is in his name and your authority is in his name. Peter and John, they said, they heard this question, you know, in whose name, in whose authority are you doing these things? And they gave the answer. It's, it's, he's, they said, know this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's whose name we do this in. That, that's where we get our authority. It's in the name of Jesus, the guy that has all authority. 
You need to understand this today as Christians, okay? Here's why. We have a very countercultural message, increasingly so, where what we say and what we teach from the Word of God goes against the conventional wisdom of our culture. And more and more, you're going to hear people ask you a question the way that Peter and John were asked a question. They're going to say to you, uh, who do you think you are to go around and saying things like these? Who do you think you are to say that there's only one God, that there's only one way to be saved, that there's only one truth? Who put you in charge? And like Peter and John, you're going to have to say, it's in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, that I preach the truth and I tell you who God is and that there is no way to come to the Father except through him, the way, the truth, and the life. You have authority in his name. You're going to go into all different types of difficult circumstances and situations at your job and in your family and in your community. And when you walk into that situation, you will have the opportunity to speak life and to show love to people who gave you that authority to do so. The name of Jesus gives you the authority to do so. Everywhere you go in this world as a Christian, guess what? God has spiritually put you in charge. You've walked into the room as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and a delegate of his authority, and you have spiritual authority everywhere you go. Come on, I love that. It feels good to be the boss over the enemy, right? You get to walk into every situation and preach with authority the good news of Jesus. Authority is in his name, and we need to know that purpose is in his name. We celebrate his birth at Christmas, but... His birth had a purpose. It wasn't like the Son of God was in heaven and said, I think I want to know what it feels like to be born as a baby. <laughs> he would never do that. He came to this world for a purpose. He came, it, sa it says in his name what his purpose was, Yeshua. Why did he come, Jesus? Why did you come? Because God saves he saves. He came to save. Matthew 121 said, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He came to this earth because people had been broken by the curse of sin. God gave us a free will. I'm glad he did. I didn't want to be a programmed robot last time I checked. And if you didn't figure this out yet, mankind, we are a sinful group of people, aren't we? I know, especially the younger you are, the more likely it is that you went to school and someone told you that you are a special little snowflake, that you are basically a good person and you can do no wrong in your mama's eyes. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is the ultimate authority. And when you really break it down and you're honest with yourself, you know that it's true, that we're all sinful by nature. Sin has corrupted our soul and our sin separates us from God. This is why Jesus came. He came to bridge the divide between mankind and God so that sinful people could be saved. He wanted us to have this opportunity. And Romans chapter 10 verse 13 tells us how to be saved. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? This is another uh, phrase here that's lost in translation a little bit. It doesn't just mean you shout out the name Jesus and you're going to heaven. That'd be kind of cool, but it's not what it means. To call on his name, it means to pray sincerely with faith. 
It means that in your heart, you sincerely believe and trust that Jesus is God, that he is the king, that he is the only way to be saved. That is how you experience salvation. You call on the name of the Lord, but really it means you believe in him. You trust him to save you. And, and maybe you've already done this. Maybe you've already praised, you know, Jesus save me and forgive me for my sins. I hope you have. If you haven't, you can do that today. You can pray in your heart. Even right now in this moment, you don't need a pastor to lead you. You can just say in your heart, I believe in you. I trust you to save me. I know that you're God. And when you pray that prayer, your status with the Lord is changed. It doesn't even matter what language you speak it in. I know we got a lot of uh, Latinos here. We got some people from all over the world. God knows he doesn't, he doesn't really wrestle with language like we do. You can pray, you know, Jesus. You can pray Jesus. As long as in your heart you trust him, you will be saved. His purpose is in his name. His purpose is in his name and your purpose is in his name. Every single person who's ever lived has asked the question, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Do you know that God, he will reveal your purpose to you and that you have a purpose for your life? There are two parts to the purpose for your life. You have a general purpose and a specific purpose. God has a general will for your life and a specific will for your life. The specific part of your purpose, I don't know. I don't know the exact details of that. It could be, you know, what you do for a living. It could be um, to just make beautiful, um, creative pieces of art or to run an awesome business. That might be your specific purpose. I can't show you or tell you. God will reveal that to you. But do you know that he has already revealed your general purpose? He has already showed you what your general purpose is. In Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. The good news is that God saves through Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. This is your purpose, to go and preach the good news. This is the purpose for every single Christian. It doesn't matter if you don't yet fully know the specific purpose that God has for your life. You do already know the general purpose that God has for your life. It is to go into the world and make disciples and tell people about how awesome Jesus is. What, and let me ask you this. If you're still struggling to figure out the specific purpose for your life, start living out the general purpose for your life that you do know. For some of you, why is God going to show you the specific purpose for your life if you won't live out the general purpose that he has already revealed to you? So get busy doing what he has already shown you how to do. Go and make disciples and preach the gospel, showing people like Peter and John said, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's my purpose right now. Can't help it. I'm just preaching. This is what you get to do. Again, I hope you do this when you're in line at Starbucks this week, right? Like, sorry, just living out my general purpose. Wanted you to know salvation comes through no one else but Jesus Christ that little baby on your cup he's a savior sorry this is what I was made to do right you just gotta tell him don't apologize for your purpose please I want you to know that power is in his name power is in his name 
They were asked, by what power or what name did you do this? See, Peter and John, they were in trouble. And so maybe you have wondered, well, why were they in trouble? Go to the previous chapter, Acts chapter 3. It says that in that passage that Peter and John had been walking along, they came across a man who had been crippled. The crippled man who was lame, he asked for a handout. He asked for alms for the poor, you know, you could, you could call it. And Peter, he said, I have no silver and gold. He had just done all his Christmas shopping, so there was no money left over. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He had the power to give him a gift even better than some cash money. And the name of Jesus reveals the very nature of his power. He is God. He has a divine nature. That is the essence of who he is. And that's important to know because as Christians, we do not have power inherently within ourselves. I know the world tries to tell us that we do, that you got the eye of the tiger a fighter, right, dancing through the fire. And most Eastern religions, a lot of other religions, they try to tell you how to become powerful. But as Christians, we kind of have an opposite take that we've come to grips with the fact that, well, I have no power. The battery is depleted. The gas tank is on empty. I don't have the goods to get me where I want to go. And so if I, if I don't have any power, then I need an outside source of power. Well, that's what we figured out as believers in Jesus. We figured out, well, I have no power, so I want to have access to the one who has all power, Jesus Christ, the name above every name. This is where Peter and John got their power, and this is where every disciple since then, every believer in Jesus since then has gotten their power. This is where your power comes from. How many of you want to have power? Hmm. Okay, some people are starting to think about this right now. I just come to church because it feels good. I didn't know I could get some power out of this. Yeah, you can be powerful. Who doesn't want to be powerful? You can have power through Jesus. It says in Acts 16 that Paul and Silas, some other disciples, they uh, got to experience the power of God. They had this really incredible experience. Paul writes, once when we... Paul and Silas, we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This girl was demon-possessed, and this demon spirit, this demonic spirit, enabled her to predict the future to some degree. People often ask, you know, as a Christian, can I be, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Think about that. Right? If you are a believer and the spirit of God is living inside of you, how is it that a demonic spirit could move up into your temple and dwell in the same place as the spirit of Jesus? So, no, a, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. This girl was. She was telling the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I think that's amazing, okay? 
Because I've met all kinds of distracting people in my life, especially up in here as a pastor trying to have church, all kinds of distractions going on. You got the lady in the back dancing with the flag. You got the tambourine lady. And you're like, no, don't do that right now. This distraction is kind of cool. This demon is following them around saying, these men are servants of the most high God, and they are telling you the way to be saved. I think Paul would have been like, that's what I was trying to say, right? Like, that's what I've been trying to tell them. Even the demon can't help but tell it like it is when the presence of God is there. In verse 18, it says, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at the moment, the spirit left her. So it was in the, the name of Jesus that he commanded her because it was Jesus whose power gave him the ability to command this spirit to leave this girl. And I, I want you to understand how important that is, that it is Jesus where you draw power from. And through him, you can experience greater power than you can even possibly imagine. In fact, I think you would experience greater power if you actually had faith in the power that he offers to you. And so I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just saying maybe for all of us, we can, we can have a little bit of a mental mind shift about the power that is available to us through Jesus. Maybe he wants to do greater things through you. I think maybe he's just waiting for some of us to ask, myself included. But look, his name, the name of Jesus is not some magic word that just makes miracles happen. It's not. I wish it was. I wish when your car broke down, you could just be like, Jesus, abracadabra, your car is fixed, right? You walk in late to work and your boss is like, hey, you're five minutes late. And you're like, Jesus. And he's like, oh, hey, I wanted to give you a raise, right? It doesn't work that way. I wish it did. Look, there are some dudes that found that out the hard way. In Acts chapter 19, there are some other guys who are trying to get in on this game. It says that some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, listen, listen to this carefully. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. In the name of the Jesus, the guy that Paul is preaching about, I command. How does that work out for them? One day, the evil spirit answered them saying, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about, but who are you? Which is an equally awesome burn today as it would have been back then, right? right? Like, this demon even is opening a can. He's embarrassing these guys. Like, I know Jesus, the son of God. Paul, I know about. He's cool. But who are you? Who are you? I, don't heard, I never heard of you. Like, like, that's what he's saying. And then here's what happens. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So this demon was the demon of the junior high spirit, I think. He like pants them and he beat the crap out of them and sent them home to their mom crying, right? Sent them home. Who are you? 
It just shows you that you can't just show up and think that the name of Jesus is some kind of magical name that can get you what you want. And when you see what's going on here in the book of Acts, you hopefully are putting it together, the difference of what happened with Paul and Silas from these poor Jewish guys who got their butts kicked by a demon, right? When Paul and Silas showed up, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave. When the Jewish guys showed up, they said, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul talked about. Do you see the difference? Paul, he had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as his savior. And these guys, they're talking about the Jesus they heard about. And so what it shows you is it was not the verbal spoken name Jesus that caused that first demon to flee. It was the spirit of Jesus who was inside Paul that gave him the power to command that demon to flee. It's not good enough to just go around throwing names out there unless you don't know the one who the name represents is what I'm trying to tell you. But when you do know him as a believer, the power of his spirit is inside of you and therefore God can do amazing things through you. The, the same issue exists in our world today. There are many people going around claiming to do things in the name of Jesus, calling themselves Christians, and then doing terrible things. There are counterfeit Christians today, just like there were counterfeit exorcists in the book of Acts. There are people that go around, you know, and they use the name of Jesus and they do, they do sad things. And that's why for a lot of people, even using the name Christian sometimes, you're like, man, I don't know what people are going to think of when they hear that title because, man, it's gotten a bad rap sometimes unfairly from some people abusing it. It's also a good reminder for us to be careful about how we live our lives because when we call ourselves Christians, his name is invested in us and the way that we live our lives, it will show the world who he is. We don't want to misrepresent him. This is what the third commandment was actually talking about when it said, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, don't misuse his name for any other purpose than what he has. Don't have a, a stolen identity as a Christian and misrepresent who God is. Don't take his name in vain. The Bible does not say that demons have to flee at the name of Jesus. Do you know that? That's not a verse in the Bible. That's a song lyric, but it's not from Scripture. That idea maybe comes from what we saw in Acts chapter 16, that, you know, the name of Jesus, this demon fled. What, what the Bible does say in James chapter 4 verse 7 is, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's not good enough to just, you know, abracadabra these, uh, the devil out of your life. You know, Jesus, abracadabra, all your problems are gone. It requires ongoing warfare, fighting for what is right. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may withstand the attacks of the enemy, right? This is going to be a fight. It's a fight for your life, and it's a fight that will last your whole lifetime resisting the devil, but God has given you the power to resist the devil. And when you do, he will flee. That's the promise that you have. You have the power to stand for Christ. You will achieve victory through Jesus when you believe in him and when you draw power from him. Finally, I want you to know this morning that relationship is in his name. This is describing what he wants for you. Our God is not a distant, far-off God who created the heavens and the earth and then checked out and left you on your own to figure it out with some manuscripts, you know. He tells you what he wants. In Isaiah 7, 14, 
It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. His name, Jesus, uh, he was given the name Emmanuel, which tells you what he wants. He wants to be with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Maybe you haven't had a lot of good relationships in your life, but you can have an amazing relationship with him. Jesus, Emmanuel, the God who came to earth to be with us. This is an amazing opportunity for each and every one of us to experience a real intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope that it will change your whole entire outlook on life as you journey through the challenges that will come your way. You'll be able to know he's not just a wonderful counselor, he's my wonderful counselor, right? Every Christian I know is in counseling with a wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, who is comforting you in times of hardship and guiding you through the path that life takes you through. He's not just a mighty God. He is my mighty God, right? He's the strong tower that I can run into and flee the attacks of the enemy and be safe. He's not just the everlasting father. He's my everlasting father who cares about my needs. He cares about what I'm going through. I have access to him at any point to come and bring my needs to him. He's not just the Prince of Peace. He's not the Jesus. He's my Prince of Peace, right? It doesn't matter if I'm going through hardship and storms of life. Jesus has this way, my Prince of Peace of coming in and bringing calm in the midst of the storm. I love having a relationship with him, don't you? I mean, it's incredible. Let's take a minute to just bow our heads and turn our hearts to the Lord. If you're in this room this morning and you'd say, I want to have this relationship with Jesus, the God who saves, you can make that decision and step this morning by sincerely believing in your heart that he is who he said he is, he's Jesus, he is the son of God, he's the savior of the world. You can place your faith in him this morning and there's not magic words to do so, it's just a matter of in your heart trusting him. But let's pray this prayer together if you're here and you wanna make that decision today, maybe for the first time or maybe you need to recommit your life to him for the first time in a long time. Just say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned and that my sin separates me from you, but I believe that you died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. And I believe that you rose again three days later so that I could have everlasting life and victory over death. And now I wanna follow you and I submit my life to you to lead me and guide me as my teacher and my king. In your name I pray, Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three and we'll celebrate with you. One, two, three. Just shoot your hand up. That's awesome. I love it. That's awesome. We celebrate with you guys. That's what it's all about.